those mom and pop's restaurants and doctor's offices will never build something, even with an LLM, because that's science fiction, right? They're not in a particularly great situation because they need to spin up a lot of resources that traditional vendors of this have. So I still think that companies like ours are in a good spot to bring this technology in as a platformized solution. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Deep Learning with Poly AI's podcast. Today, we're doing a part two of our last discussion about the future of conversational AI. Um, though we covered a lot of ground in that podcast, you should definitely check it out if you didn't see it. Um, we talked a lot about future of generative and how that's influencing the landscape of conversational AI for people who are building within their organizations and for people who are buying. But we also left a whole lot unsaid. So we're extending that today. Thanks for joining me again, Yen and Nicola. It looks like you're still in Vegas, but your background is a little different. I'm in Reno. Oh, you're in Reno. Okay. I'm with another client of ours. Nice. Reno's like Vegas's little brother, I'd say. Cool. So let's get into it. So we did an informal poll of our clients a few weeks back, just around generative AI to just test the water, get an understanding, temperature check it. And we got back a lot of confusion, a lot of trepidation, a lot of fear, but also a sense of urgency, which you don't always see altogether. But people feeling, yep, my CEO is talking about this all the time. We know we need to do something around this. We're not exactly sure where to start. And really, that's the purpose, I think, of this conversation is to just help people, help nudge them in the right direction. Yeah. And so really, maybe we start there. Like I've heard a lot of people saying that they might need to be building their own LLMs or thinking about how to do this. Yen, have you heard the same things on the ground? Have you been hearing this from prospects? Absolutely. I just had a meeting with a prospect yesterday where it's almost something that is very familiar where the upper echelons of management believe that they need to train their own LLM, right? That's um, going to encompass all of their internal knowledge, customer information, and policies, et cetera. And, and I think that the type of action, the organizational action that's triggered what FOMO, the fear of missing out is, is the trigger is, is quite different than when you actually have an active problem to solve. And I think people are actually in this mode of accumulating assets. Oh, I want my own LLM so that I'm not missing out. But they're not really thinking about what problems they actually want to solve. With it. And then it's a fairly interesting part of the adoption. What do you think, Nicola? Yeah, no, I've heard the same. I think you get a lot of levels of people just also not wanting to show you that they might not know. Okay, of course we have our own LLMs. And I'm like, fairly confident you don't yet have your own LLM because very few companies have what would be considered a proper large language model with a data set that is theirs and useful in the right way. It's a lot of work. OpenAI didn't build it overnight, right? Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people um, think they have to have it. It's come from the top. It's, you know, like a first order of priority or, or close to it. So um, it's almost difficult to talk about it without like asking, what have you really done? Yeah. And I think maybe just to clarify, people mean different things when they say they're building their own LLM, right? The first version is I've logged into ChatGPT and I've prompted around and now I have a chatbot. So I'm using my own LLM and it is I've prompted say GPT-4 to, to build a system on my own. And sure, but that's not training your own LLM, right? Maybe just for clarity and for the audience. Like the second level would be, I will use my own data on top of an existing LLM to train something that is my own LLM, right? That is tuned for my own data and people did it. And prior to GPT-4, I think it was almost a consensus that you have to tune LLMs for your use case to get it to work really well. Where GPT-4 surprised people is that 
It was often out of the box. It was better than what they had managed to build by tuning GPT 3.5. Now, how that race and uh, dogma evolves, we'll have to see over the coming period. But uh, the final step would be you have a giant corpus of data, training your own thing from scratch. You probably don't have anything like the amount of data that was used for, say, GPT-4. Because, well, if it's your proprietary data, no one produces that, that much data on their own as an enterprise. And I think with those, people often think and hope that, and that's part of the equation that, again, still is like pretty unanswered. It's not answered yet, but it's do you need to train it from scratch to get a smaller LLM that has the same functionality for your use case? If you did it, that would be great because it would be smaller, hence faster, lower latency, lower cost, data sovereignty, you're probably hosting it. And that's the ultimate builder's thing to do, right? If you're a DIYer at heart, you want to do that. And I'll be honest, for those companies and prospects that we talk to that are have very strong IT organizations, they just want to do it. It's not even, and that that's where the magical, like the CEO said, we have to go generative, we have to invest in this or we're going to miss out, FOMO as Jan said, and then a very keen, ambitious person who wants to work on this will just end up working on it. And that's not different to pre-generative times in our sales process where we've repeatedly, like places where we haven't gotten a client are those where a very ambitious person says, I'm going to build everything that Poly I built on my own. And we track these very carefully. Never happened. It is perfectly natural because if you are in an IT department of a large company that is proud of like its ability to deliver things. Like, would you rather be building a voice assistant or another accounting system? So I think we're going to see a lot more of this uh, going forward. Yeah, actually, I think on that note, maybe a little bit of a controversial question, but should they be building a voice assistant over an accounting system? And who is really qualified to answer that question within, a, within an enterprise? Hmm. Yen? Yeah, so I... I, I do, because again, as I said yesterday, a voice assistant or a conversational assistant really is an extension of the brand, right? In the sense that it is, it is like your app. It's like your website. It is actually like your product or how you treat your customers. And it is, I think that enterprises have a lot more say and a lot more flexibility for, for potential creation of positive value than building their accounting system because there's like probably an objectively correct way to build an accounting system and you can tap SAP or whoever you want to or, or into it to do something like that. Yeah, and I, I think an accounting system, it has a very clear goal, has very clear steps in order to get to that goal, whereas generative is a lot newer and just playing devil's advocate, trying to imagine myself in a builder role I don't want to have to deal with safety and regulatory issues associated with generative. I don't want to have to deal with speech recognition stuff or where is this model going to be accountable? If it goes wrong, where am I going to be able to pinpoint where it went wrong and report back to the higher ups about it and how I'm going to solve this thing? Yeah, just with that in mind, knowing an accounting system is just so much more of a known quantity than generative. Like really, again, who do we trust? How do we think about this? Full disclaimer, Polya is not qualified to give you advice on accounting systems. We know very little about <laughs> it. I think the other thing is, of course, with generative, we see like a huge increase in capabilities. So people are like, hey, we should be doing it. It will mean a lot to us. But you got to look at the problem you're trying to solve and then say, is generative actually helping fix this problem? Because if you looked at, I don't know, human society at the start of 20th century, 
did we benefit from electricity? And did we benefit from penicillin? Yes, we did. We benefited from both. They don't address the same issue, right? So if you look at, say, building a voice assistant, like an LLM that can give you very interesting details and go into like long discourses about your feelings or just solve a mental puzzle together with you. If you're building a system where the caller goes in and just says, spa, like I need to talk to a spa, right? And like the speech recognition is not getting that feedback in. With generative, you're actually going to hurt yourself double because everyone talks about hallucinations and they obsess over these like current limitations of existing LLMs. But the real issue is this, developers say kind of garbage in, garbage out, right? If you misrecognize what someone said and instead of directing you to the spa, the system starts telling you about the kinds of soap that are interesting. You're just going to get a system that isn't going to make anyone happy. In fact, it's uh, probably going to get you clients lost. Like ASAP. I think there's a lot of hesitancy to put something that people don't know in front of their customers. A lot of people are still concerned as they should be that you, you can build a bot using generative technology, which by the way, wouldn't happen with a, with a more intent-based type of experience. But you could build a generative bot ostensibly to um, answer questions about the SPOG and, and you can maybe ask it a question about the very sensitive issues going on in the Middle East and it might give you an answer. And actually, even if it doesn't give you a very eyebrow-raising answer, it could still maybe opine that, oh, I'm not qualified to talk about issues of politics, which is actually not something that you want your brand to have an opinion at, at all. And how do you limit that experience? to something that's really on brand and how do you give your enterprise buyer the confidence that they have everything under control, I think is going to be very important in the adoption of, of this type of technology. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we've talked about this in the past. It's like a, a hybrid approach, like knowing when to switch between a transactional thing where it's like, there's one right answer, go find that right answer, give it to the customer. Don't touch these sensitive topics versus a generative kind of more expansive, cool human experience. And I, I think we talked about that as being a little bit of the, the moderate path, like the middle path. It's, that is likely to be the future, but it's not necessarily an exciting sounding one. And I actually disagree with that a little bit. I think like the moderate path isn't moderate because if you get the transactional side of things and you're already a step ahead of everyone else in terms of the quality of a voice assistant you build, in terms of the quality of the speech recognition, you know that it says SPA. And so you can do everything else right. Yeah, that, that you actually have something pretty revolutionary on your hands. So even though hybrid sounds like the safe answer, like this blended safe answer, I, I think it, it really is the, the future of this. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, the, I think it's if you don't want to be sensationalist, it's obvious that it's like the way that it will go, right? Will generative be used? Absolutely. Are we going to throw away everything we have now, even though it works really well? Obviously not. So... Between those two things, you have an answer that it's going to be hybrid of some kind, right? Now, the real excitement starts when you double click and you're like, what kind of hybrid, right? Will you use LLMs for some transactional stuff? Oh, yes, you will. You will actually use a lot of them because they can do a lot better with a lot of different kind of parsing and difficult things, right? Different kind of, like, almost like writing a SQL query over a database and stuff. Like, yeah, it can do that really well. And you should use it for that rather than like crafting intense and all of that kind. Can it give you more granular answers where, you know, you, what are the opening times of our restaurants, or this restaurant? Is it open on a Tuesday? Is it open on Tuesday at 9 p.m.? 
those are all things that have different answers. They're an intense system. You'd have to craft different things and combine them. And it, it's clunky. Like you, you should be using generative for that. But equally, we will still have to find ways. And in, in our platform, compartmentalizing spoken language understanding, which is the component that allows us to really boost the speech recognition performance in the right context so that we understand what you said, which is really the main blocker to voice assistance. Doing well is why people hate them and don't really trust that they will be understood. That's still the problem number one, right? And if someone wants to go on a tangent and talk about the Middle East, as Yen said, that's really up to you with an LLM or not, like how you're going to deal with that, how you're going to elegantly sidestep and move on to trying to sell them something else or book them in. Yeah, and, and I think on another take about what hybrid might mean, I, I agree with Nicola. I think a lot can be done with LLMs. I think that, that but if you're thinking about a conversational agent that, that represents the brand that does the job or does many jobs, it's more likely that conversational flow will encompass many different parts, right? And those parts are probably going to be separated into different compartments, maybe. And so... Again, I think that when you do have something that goes wrong with your conversational agent, people want to be able to pinpoint where things will end wrong. And so that type of a, I think we've all been wowed by ChatGPT as like a single entity agent that you could have multiple turn conversations. And, but in, in the enterprise space, it's probably going to be many different LLM powered job doers, let's say that does a particular part. Uh, of that conversation, and then it moves on to the next so that we can troubleshoot when things go wrong. Yeah, I think for the more regulatory difficult situations, you'll have people who might go more towards that kind of hybrid where the system is compartmentalized, and then you're, you can explain why, like you went generative in that specific situation with that answer, et cetera. You're using it in specific parts of the conversation. That's really safe. Could you still pull something out of context? For sure. But that can be done with intent-based systems as well, right? We had um, pr a pretty legendary system in the past for one of our clients where if you asked if you can bring your Serbian friend to the restaurant, it would tell you that kids are allowed. And if you asked about your Polish friend, it will tell you that you can't bring your own alcohol. Now, Serbs may be juvenile and Poles may like vodka, but that's really not something you want your system to say. So if you want to like pull things out of context, then point to things that have bias that you dislike. Yeah, you could do it with the previous version of the system as well. And you could fix that maybe a bit more easily than an LLM, but it's all fair game. Like how many of your agents are bantering with callers and things that you might call inappropriate bias? It's probably happening at far greater scale than one would like to admit. So moving on from that, the second kind of like hybrid thing would be you have an LLM running. And the LLM is autopilot, autopiloting, everything other than, hey, this is like a tough situation where I want more control. Like maybe I've convinced you to buy something, but then maybe I want to take you through a payment flow where I've programmed specifically what's happening to that card number, to your CVC code, to your expiry date on the card. And I can guarantee PCI compliant payments rather than something that someone might be able to use in a way that will reveal some other information. I think we'll definitely have a lot of those as well. Where the buck will stop, who knows? I think both are 
perfectly valid ways to build systems right now. Yeah, I, I want to just signal boost something that um, Nicholas said, which is explainability, right? Which I think we should actually probably in this discourse separate from this idea of safety, right? Um, again, if you're if our customers are enterprises and enterprises are naturally hierarchical entities where accountability is really important at every step or every level, right? You, you need to be able to explain why something did something, right? And it's not just the, the end goal, right? Achieving the end goals good enough in that particular context. You need to know why A triggered B, right? And that person needs to have an answer. Again, we need to be empathetic to our buyers who are not CEOs, they might be senior executives, but they're accountable to a whole bunch of people in their company, to their stakeholders. And you need to build it in a way where they can actually point to why did it behave in this way, right? A good answer every time, whether the outcome was correct or incorrect. Do you think that's a lot to ask for an internal builder, like within an enterprise company who's now trying to build like a flow to explain why something went wrong? And like one of the nodes, they're just pointing to basically a black box and just saying something went wrong in the prompt training, something went wrong in the training. Uh, but unlike with an actual individual where you can say, I don't exactly know what went wrong or why they went down this totally inappropriate tangent, but that person's gone. Like you can't do the same thing with an LLM. You can't do the same thing with. I think we're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see a lot of people building and then one thing will happen that it won't be able to rectify <laughs> explainably. And then the whole project will be scrapped. Exactly. We should think about that really carefully, right? Because with a more traditional system, there's there are ways to counter any specific behavior, right? And to really point and audit and have a trail of how we got there, how we corrected that behavior, et cetera. With an LLM, good luck. <laughs> yeah, especially if that's not your discipline. If you're doing it because it's more fun than the accounting system, that's that's a challenge. Yeah, and I, the whole like field of testing, say in our case, conversational agents, it's a difficult thing, right? Where you could have people calling testing behaviors, you could have automated unit tests like engineering where you wanted to follow a certain path, but you can't ever possibly cover everything. And there are often many different correct answers to things. You can't test, like if you change something and the answer changed, it might still be correct, but you can't really like match it. You almost need then another machine learning system to evaluate the correctness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuclear, right? So I think, LLMs will get good enough to be trusted in a lot of these things, right? But do you want to underwrite that risk if you're an internal builder right now? Maybe. Like, it depends on the kind of company. For the past four years of working with Yen, not a month goes by without him quoting Clay Christensen and disruptive innovation to me. And the companies that will do this first stand to reap a lot of benefits. But they're also going to make some mistakes. and Some risks will be taken. and Maybe some of those will be catastrophic. But that's how technical innovation goes. Yeah, just because Nicola cited Clay Christensen so that I can have my own tangent about disruptive innovation. Now. This wasn't one. I think that it's, I think it's really interesting to, to look at what we do because a, a very simple summary or maybe bastardization of the theories is that the first adopters of every new technology tends to live on the margins of that particular addressable market. They're the people or customers or enterprises who couldn't quite afford the incumbents, right? For some reason. And it's really interesting to see where that exists in voice, because when you talk about chatbots and all sorts of customer interactions, that's basically the addressable world. But when you're talking about voice is really 
interesting because the voice is already a quite an expensive way of serving your customers. And so the margins of voice isn't all that big in the sense that it's not that you're going to find a lot of mom and pop SMEs that is primarily using call centers to address their customer service needs. They're going to be emails, they're going to be chatbots. And it's really interesting when we look at what exists on the margins of voice and who might be the first adopters of these pure Gen AI voice bots. It probably is your local administrative assistant who at a car dealership, it is your local mom and pop diner restaurant, or maybe not diner, local restaurant, not, not an enterprise size restaurant, doctor's office, maybe vet offices, these places that we know still get a lot of calls and probably wouldn't go for a traditional voice AI system. But this is, has opened up this new market or this new possibility of to be automated in, in, in the voice channel. Now, I've got a lot of right? Like the, those mom and pops restaurants and doctor's offices will never build something, even with an LLM, because that's science fiction, right? Yeah. So there you'll, you will either have vendors arise to serve them with mm-hmm. the more like mass market SaaS, probably verticalized, heavily verticalized and specific applications that they will then push towards these markets through distribution channels that what, well, those markets have. Or you're basically just going to have like when you look, sorry, when, when you go to the enterprise side, then that's a very different form of innovating. And the builder there doing this kind of stuff, they're not in a particularly great situation because they need to spin up a lot of resources that traditional vendors of this have. So I still think that companies like ours and our competitors are in a good spot to bring this technology in as a platformized solution more than as just like raw foundation model and like off you go rebuild everything from telephony streaming to multiple speech recognition engines and other things you need just to get going with a voice. So yeah, what Jan said about like the margins of voice, it's a really interesting place. It's either yeah. like small side of it or it's people who couldn't afford more sure. vendors or people who are just, and the most of our clients are companies that would not deploy a voice assistant in the past because they didn't think of them as good enough for their brand. So I think that's the other flavor of, kind of like moving yeah. forward. Um, I think it's it's worth mentioning too, those folks at the margins that would be adopting this type of technology are also the ones that are least likely to make national news if something goes wrong, or least likely to disappoint like an entire kind of like cohort of shareholders. And on yep. that point, yeah, I think um, we are at time, but our next discussion will probably be around this safety message and just like being able to talk about the liability of underwriting this within your own organization like how do you think about the these like the ethics of this and all of that so looking forward to that next discussion appreciate it as always thanks for joining us again 